Let's read Psalms 44 tonight. I want to begin reading. Let me begin reading verse number 1. And, and I'll, you read along with me, but I really would like for you to let this soak in tonight. Look at verse 1. We have heard with our ears, O God, our fathers have told us what work thou didst in their days in the times of old. Boy, could we just stop right there and say, boy, I've heard the stories of what used to happen. I've heard them old timers talk about what used to go on, what God did in the days of old, in the times of old. What a great verse. Look at verse 2. How thou didst drive out the heathen with thy hand and plantest them, and how thou didst afflict the people and cast them out. For they got not the land in possession by their own sword, neither did their own arm save them, but by right hand and thine arm and the light of thy countenance, because thou hadst a favor unto them. Great, great. Verse 4, Thou art my king, O God. Command deliverances for Jacob. Through thee we will push down our enemies. Through thy name we will tread them under that rise up against us. For I will not trust in my bow, neither shall my sword save me. But thou hast saved us from our enemies and hast put them the shame that hated us. In God we boast all the day long and praise thy name forever. Selah. Stop and think about that now, he said. Verse 9, but thou hast cast us off, cast off, and put us to shame, and goest not forth with our armies. Thou makest us to turn back from the enemy, and they which hate us spoil uh, for themselves. Thou hast given us like sheep appointed for meat, and hast scattered, it, scattered us among the heathen. Thou sellest thy people for naught, and dost not increase thy wealth by their price. Thou makest us a reproach to our neighbors, a scorn and a derision to them that are round about us. Thou makest us a byword among the heathen, a shaking of the head among the people. My confusion is continually before me and the shame of my face hath covered me for the voice of him that reproacheth and blasphemeth by reason of the enemy and avenger all this has come upon us yet we have not forgotten thee neither have we dealt falsely in thy covenant our heart is not turned back neither have our steps declined from thy way though thou hast sore broken us in the place of dragons and covered us with the shadow of death if we have forgotten the name of our God and stretched out our hands to a strange God, shall not God search this out? For he knoweth the secrets of the heart. Yea, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted, uh, we are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Awake, why sleepest thou, O Lord? Arise, cast us not off forever. Wherefore hidest thou thy face, and forgettest our affliction and our oppression? For our soul is bowed down to the dust, our belly cleaveth unto the earth. Arise for our help, and redeem us for thy mercy's sake. You know what he's saying? Here's what he's saying. Oh God, would you do it again? Would you do it again? I want you to leave your Bibles open tonight and I want to share some truths with you from this text. Let's pray. Father, thank you for letting us be in church tonight. Lord, I'm glad you do save to the uttermost, or as preachers used to say, you save from the guttermost to the uttermost. And I'm glad you're a God that's that great and that big that you can save those who are down in the gutter. 
and you can save anybody from their sins. If there is one sitting among us tonight that's not saved or perhaps watching on the live stream or even listening going down the road on the radio, I sure pray that you'd touch and deal with their heart tonight. And then help us tonight as we look at this chapter that's before us. I pray you'd help us encourage our hearts. What a great, great text for our nation. What a great text for our nation. Thank you for the, what a word for our nation. And I pray that you'd uh, help us tonight as we look at this uh, text together. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You know, for well over a year now in our Wednesday evening services, we have been making our way through the Old Testament book of Psalms. I've simply entitled this, obviously, Preaching Through the Psalms. Tonight in this series, we find our way up, all the way up, to the 44th division or the 44th chapter of this great book. Once again, if you look in the superscription right under Psalms 44, which I've told you basically gives us some introductory information about the psalm, we once again find that there is no author mentioned for this psalm. So we really don't know who wrote the book of Psalms chapter 44. However, we run into the same word that we run into last week, the word maskil. And that simply means to give instruction or to impart wisdom. So we do know that whoever wrote this psalm did so for the purpose of imparting wisdom or giving instruction to those that would read this psalm. And then, once again, as we did in last week's, uh, uh, last week's psalm, we run into uh, this group of people that are called the sons of Korah. Now, as I said a moment ago, nobody knows exactly who wrote this psalm, but we do find that this song was, psalm was written, once again, for the sons of Korah. Now, I'm not going to go back into all that I told you about that last week, but just let me say this. Korah was the son of Kohath. Kohath. Kohath was one of the three sons of, uh, uh, of Aaron. Aaron had three sons, Hershem, Miriai, and Kohath. These, these Kohathites had tremendous responsibility around the Old Testament tabernacle. Let me tell you something. More than the, uh, the sons of Miriai and more than the sons of Hershem, the sons of Kohath alone had the responsibility of basically packing up the Old Testament tabernacle. When the Shekinah glory cloud would lift off the tabernacle, the sons of Kohath would fly in and they would go to work. And whereas some of the other members of the other sons of Moses had the responsibilities of taking the boards down and taking the skins down. The sons of Kohath had the responsibility of moving the, the, the furniture that was in the Old Testament tabernacle. In fact, their job in particular was to transport the ark. Now, out of all the pieces of the furniture in the Old Testament tabernacle, the most important article of furniture was that Old Testament ark. More than any other piece of furniture in that tabernacle, the ark represented the presence and the power of the Lord Jesus. And what would happen is when that cloud would lift off that tabernacle, they knew it was time to journey on. And Aaron would go into the tabernacle and he would take that veil down. Now this is all found in the book of Numbers. He would take the veil that separated the holy place from the holiest of all. He would take that veil down and he would wrap the ark 
in that veil. And then the sons of Kohath would come in with those big long staves, those big long rods that were made out of a, 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 a shidem wood and they were overlaid with pure gold and they would slide those staves into the round rings of that ark and the sons of Kohath would pick that ark up and carry it as the nation of Israel journeyed through the wilderness. In fact, the ark always went foremost. Wherever Israel went, the ark was always out front. And the sons of Kohath had the responsibility of moving that ark. Now, i got to tell you something. I never appreciated that until Brother John Moxley set the, the ark up in here in our church one day. Many of you may remember this. It was years ago, probably 2014, 13, 15, somewhere around here. And he set the ark up. So all the articles of furniture were setting up here. And Brother John went through the tabernacle that week preaching about, uh, about each one of the articles of furniture in that Old Testament tabernacle. Let me tell you something about John Moxley. He had knowledge regarding that tabernacle. Somebody once said this, if Moses had any questions, about the tabernacle, he should ask John Moxley. He knew about the tabernacle. And I never really appreciated how difficult it was to move that thing through the wilderness until that week while he was doing that and we had a funeral here in our church. And me and one other man was responsible for moving all those articles of furniture off this platform. We carried them right over there and set them down. And I'm going to tell you something. I got a greater appreciation for the sons of Kohath carrying that ark overlaid with pure gold through that wilderness. Boy, these had to be some men's men. They probably had to look something like me. If you want to know what one of them probably looked like, just look me over here real good and probably looks, I'm kidding about that. But anyway, so... Korah was a son of Kohath. I mean, man, one of those people responsible for moving the ark, and yet we know that Korah rebelled against the authority and the leadership of Moses. And then we know that the earth opened her mouth, and, and the Bible said that Korah and Dathan and Abraham, along with 200 and other 50 men of renown in the, in the congregation of the nation of Israel, just, just the earth just slipped right out from under them. And the Bible said they fell down uh, into, I guess, into hell alive. We had an earthquake up on the mountain the other morning. I was laying in the bed. It was about 10 minutes till 6 o'clock. The alarm, alarm clock had already gone off, and the house started shaking. And it was just momentarily. I don't even know if it was 5 or 10 seconds. But, uh, man, I got to thinking about how that earth must have shook underneath the feet of Dathan and Korah and Abraham. And the Bible said the earth just opened her mouth, and they slipped right into hell alive. Oh, what a terrible fate to meet. Well, evidently, what we glean from the Scriptures is some of the sons of Korah stepped out from behind their daddy and stood on the side of Moses. And God honored them, boys, for taking a stand. No doubt they did that with tears coursing down their cheeks, but they moved out from behind their daddy and went and stood with Moses, and God spared them from his wrath. And not only did God spare them from his wrath, but God used those sons in a mighty way in the nation of Israel. In fact, if you'll go on and study these sons of Korah, they're mentioned 11 times in the book of Psalms. When you get to the book of 2 Chronicles, you'll find God referring to the sons of Korah over and over again, especially when it comes to the worship and the music and all that went on in the Old Testament tabernacle. Boy, God bless those boys because they, because they took their stand for right. And God will still bless us today if we'll stand on the side of right. 
So look at me. We don't know who wrote Psalms 44. But since it seemingly to me fits down into the life of a king by the name of Hezekiah, let's approach it from that standpoint. So let's act like, though we don't know this for sure, but let's act like Hezekiah wrote Psalms 44. And we can kind of get an understanding of what's going on in this psalm as we think about the life of Hezekiah. Now look at me. Hezekiah was a good king. His daddy Ahaz was bad. I'm talking about real bad. Shut up the doors of the house of God, worshiping the whole host of heaven, offering his children in the sacrifice, the fire sacrifice to the false gods. And then he dies, and here comes Hezekiah, his son. And the first thing you know, revival breaks out in the land of Judah. And during the reign of Hezekiah, uh, two great crises developed during the reign of Hezekiah. The first crisis was what we would call an illness crisis because the Bible said Hezekiah began to reign at 25 and only 14 years into his reign or at the tender age of only 39 years old, Hezekiah got sick. Not just sick, but he got deathly sick. In fact, can I tell you this? After all the good that Hezekiah had done, God was going to allow Hezekiah to die. In fact, God sent a message through a prophet by the name of Isaiah for King Hezekiah, and here's what he said. He said, In those days was Hezekiah sick unto death, and Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came unto him and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. In other words, Hezekiah, you're done, you're out of here. Now, I don't know exactly what kind of disease that Hezekiah had, but we do know that he had some kind of a big boil. I would say probably a tumor. Maybe it was cancer that popped up on the side of Hezekiah. And the Bible said that old Hezekiah began to pray, began to weep, and God heard his prayer, saw his tears, and God added 15 more years to his life. In fact, here's what we read about that. And Isaiah, Isaiah said, take a lump of figs, and they took it and laid it on the boil, and he recovered and he lived for 15 more years. Somebody said, wow, man, that's great. Got 15 years. Well, that still means he's going to die at 54. To me, that's awful young because I'm 60. And Hezekiah was spared a death. By the way, the Bible said they took a lump of figs. You know, God sometimes does choose to heal through medicinal, uh, through medicinal ways, methods. Uh, God chooses to heal sometimes through doctors and through medicine. And then sometimes God just chooses to heal by divinely touching somebody. And then sometimes God chooses to heal like this. All right, I'm not going to heal you there, but come on up here into heaven. I'll make you well eternally. But however it happens, God gets the glory for the healing. Can I have an amen? So there was an illness crisis. But the second crisis during the reign of Hezekiah involved an invasion crisis. That's right. There was a terrible, terrible army that came down and encamped against the city of Jerusalem. It was the Assyrians. You may remember the Assyrians. They were the very crowd that had already ran over the northern kingdom and already took all those captives in the northern kingdom all and carried them to Assyria. How many of y'all have ever heard somebody talk about the ten lost tribes of the nation of Israel? Anybody ever heard about that? Well, the reason that they say that they're lost tribes when that happened was when the king of Assyria, his name was Sennacherib. You say, Sennacherib who? His name was Sennacherib. How would you like to have a name like that? 
Sennacherib came and attacked the city of Samaria, the capital of the northern kingdom, uprooted all those people, what wasn't killed, and carried them back to Assyria and dispersed them throughout the world. And that's where some people come up with that notion of the ten lost tribes of the nation of Israel. Now look this way, this just in, not a one of them's lost. God knows exactly where they are. Gotta have an amen. But in our text, there was an invasion. So when Sennacherib got uh, through with the northern kingdom, he swoops down south. And what's down south? Jerusalem and good godly king Hezekiah. Now with all that said, all that said, here we look in this text. Now I don't know about you, but as all this begins to unfold before us, can't you almost hear the beating of the war drums outside the walls of the city of Jerusalem? I mean, can't you? Here's this mighty army, the Assyrian army that's, uh, that's encamped round about those walls. And here is Hezekiah and the small ragtag army of the, of the nation of Judah. And they're all packed inside those walls. And they know that war is imminent. I mean, the drums are beating. And, and as they look up and peek over the walls, there are thousands upon thousands of Assyrian soldiers scattered all around that wall, getting ready to attack at a moment's notice. And Hezekiah said, we are in a mess. But then as we come to Psalms 44, watch this now. Hezekiah takes four looks. All right? First of all, look at verse 1 down through verse number 8. And what Hezekiah does is this. He looks back. We see him looking back. In other words, he begins to think back about what God has done for the nation in past days. Now look at verse 1. We have heard with our ears, O God, our fathers have told us what work thou didst in their days in the times of old. In other words, Hezekiah starts thinking about, all right now, we know, we've understood, we, 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 we hear, we've heard from our dads and grandpas and uh, founders of our nation what you did for the nation a long, long time ago. And no doubt, maybe what he's thinking about here is all the past victories that God has given to the nation of Israel. In fact, if you look at verse 1, verse 2, and verse number 3, he goes over the facts of these great things that God has done. Look at verse number 2. How thou didst drive out the heathen with thy hand and plantest them and thou didst afflict the people and cast them out. For they got not the land in possession by their own sword. Neither did their own arm save them. But thy right hand and thine arm and the light of thy countenance because thou, had a, thou hadst a favor unto them. Hezekiah begins to think back and said, Lord, we didn't get into our, our, this land here, the land of Canaan. Lord, we didn't get this land by our own ingenuity by our own works God you did this for us you brought us here I think about the victories that you gave us in those days in the book of Joshua when we came up against Jericho remember the story Jericho and and, uh, and uh, then they went on against Ai and then all those other great kings and those all the, the ites crowd in the land of Canaan and Hezekiah said we didn't even get into this land Lord you did this for us God, the reason that we are who we are is not because of what we've done. It's because of who you are. Now, how many of y'all with me on that? America's not prophesied in the Bible, but I do think America is pictured in the Bible. And I think we see the nation, the United States of America, our own nation, we can see it in the founding and the faith and the faltering and the fall of the nation of Israel. And, and, and we as a nation could look back and say, God, 
We didn't get this land on our own. God, you gave us this place. Lord, you have fought for us. God, you have been good to us. God, you have planted us here in this land of ours. I started to several weeks ago on the 4th of July. I started to skip forward to this psalm, but I held back. But wouldn't this be a great July the 4th message from this psalm? We've heard about what you've done. We, we've heard about the great revivals in the days of Whitfield. We've heard about the days of revival in the days of Edwards. We heard about the great revival in the days of Moody and, and, uh, and uh, Sunday. We've heard about that. Our fathers have told us, now, oh, God, would you do it again? That ought to be our prayer tonight. Oh, God, do it again. Do it again. He begins to look back. The facts of it. God, you brought us into this land. But then the force of it. Notice what he says there in verse number, uh, verse number, uh, 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 verse number three. He said, uh, "We got not this land by our own sword, neither did their own arms save them, but thy right hand and thine arm." You know what he's doing? Look at verse six. I'm not trusting my bow, neither shall my sword save me. So he's saying this, Lord. There's a great big army outside this this wall, and it ain't going to be our sword that's going to deliver us from that. If we're going to get delivered from that, Lord, you're going to have to do that. And just let me just say again that America is the nation that it is today because God has blessed our land. You can't help but as you go through these first eight or nine verses of Psalms 44, how many times you run into those personal pronouns. Watch this. Thee, thy, and thou. What he's saying over a dozen times in those opening eight verses, Lord, this is not us. It's thee. It's thy, it's thou that has done this. And boy, we can say that about America tonight. By the way, we can say that about Woodland Baptist Church. God has blessed. God has done this. God deserves the praise and the glory. Every, every bit of that, Israel owed everything that they had to God. And just let me just say America owes everything that we are to God. A God that we won't even acknowledge anymore. But were it not for that God, where would we be today? We see Hezekiah, number one, looking back. Lord, you've done it before. But then we see him not only looking back, but notice, join me now in verse number nine. We see Hezekiah looking around. He's not only looking back, but he begins to look around. And it almost seems like this. In verse 8, God, in God we boast all the day long and praise thy name forever, Selah. In other words, God, you did it. Thank you. We love you. Hallelujah. Praise God. But then he comes to verse number 9 and it's almost like we, somebody flips a switch. Because in verse number 9 he says this, But thou hast cast us, cast us off and put us to shame and goeth not forth with our army. Thou makest us to turn back from the enemy, and they which hate us spoil for themselves. You know what he said? Something's happened. Boy, the nation that we are and how you used to bless us, and now, Lord, we get to looking around, and it ain't like that no more. Something's happened. Somebody's flipped the switch. Something's run amok here, God. We don't understand, but, Lord, something has grown, has gone tremendously, terribly wrong in our land. I don't know what he's thinking about. Maybe he's thinking about what just happened to the northern kingdom. And he, maybe he's getting to thinking, boy, there was a time that didn't happen. There was a time people didn't run over us. There was a time we couldn't lose. And now we get to looking around. And not only can we not lose anymore, but, Lord, we can't win. I mean, Lord, something's happened. And he starts looking around. It's just one defeat after the other. 
As I said, maybe he's thinking about what happened to the northern kingdom, how they were carried off into captivity. Here's what we read about that. Look at this. In 2 Kings 17, 6, In the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Assyria, king of Assyria took Samaria and carried Israel away into Assyria. Maybe, maybe Hezekiah's thinking, boy, there was a day that wouldn't have happened. Boy, there was a time in the history of our nation nobody would have carried us off. There's a time in the history of our land nobody would have whooped us. And now he says, Lord, look at this. We're defeated, we're deported, and we're despised. Look what he said in verse 9 and 10. We're defeated. Thou hast cast us off, put us to shame. Thou makest us turn our back from the enemy, and they which hate us spoil for themselves. The Ammonites and the Edomites and the Moabites and the Philistines, I mean, there they all were. They, they, they were defeated. They were de the, the nation had been defeated. Look at verse number 11 and verse 12. They were deported. Look at what he said in verse 11. Thou hast given us like sheep appointed for me and scattered us among them. Thou sellest thy people for naught and dost not increase thy wealth by their price. In other words, he said, Lord, we're, just, we're deported. We've been uprooted off of our land and scattered abroad. And then he said we were, they were despised in verse number 13. Thou makest us a reproach to our neighbors. Verse number 14. Thou makest us a byword among the heathen, a shaking of the head among the people. You know, those who used to fear our nation now are laughing at our nation. Am I right? There was a time when if somebody mentioned the United States of America, there was a certain reverence that went along with that. There was a certain fear like, don't tread on them. Don't mess with them. I was watching the other night a documentary on uh, the Second World War, and it was uh, especially emphasizing the attack of Pearl Harbor. And they were talking about uh, Yamamoto, the, the, uh, the, uh, the uh, Japanese admiral that, that, uh, that he conceived and then uh, launched the attack on Pearl Harbor. And in, the, in that documentary, they said the words that he said after the success. And it was a great success for the Japanese. But then he said this. He said, I fear that what we have done is to awaken a sleeping giant and fill it with resolve. You know what that was? There was a little bit of fear there. Can I tell you something? We got a little old puny Kim Jong-un in North Korea that's constantly launching ballistic missiles in our direction. I mean, we're living in a day when small men are casting long shadows. There's no fear of America anymore. You know what's happened? I'll tell you what's happened. God, and I hate to say it, but God is beginning to remove His hand if He hasn't already taken His hand off of our land. Hey, listen, we're no better than the nation of Israel. If they could be defeated, so could we. If they could be deported, so could we. If they could be despised, so could we. And you know, the Bible said they were laughing at them. They were a reproach. And verse number 13, that seems to be what happens when God's people fall by the wayside. I mean, people laugh at, at, at us and, and we become a joke and a byword and they begin to ridicule us because we've turned our back on God. So he see, we see the king looking back to a good day. We see him looking around and scratching his head wondering what in the world has happened. But then in the beginning, if you will, in verse number, uh, verse number 17, we see him looking in. In other words, he said, there's got to be a problem somewhere. Let's find out what's going on. So beginning in verse 17, 
he begins to think about their spiritual condition before God. He said in verse 17, All this has come upon us, yet have not we forsaken thee? Neither have we dealt falsely in thy covenant. Our hearts not turned back. Neither have our, have our steps declined from thy way. Thou hast, uh, though thou hast sore broken us in the place of dragons and covered us with the shadow of death, if we've forgotten the name of our God or stretched out our hands to a strange God, shall not God search this out? For he knoweth the secrets of heart. You know what he's doing? He's just doing a self-personal examination. He's just saying, hey, let's look and see if we've done anything to offend God and to cause God to take his hand off of us. You know, that's good from time to time to do a personal self-examination, is it not? I mean, when things begin to go wrong in your life, I'm not saying this is always the case. But when things go wrong in our life and it seems like God is nowhere to be found, it's time then to maybe look inward and say, okay, Lord, is there something that I've done that's caused you to withdraw your presence from my life? Lord, is there something in my life that's maybe caused me to, to uh, uh, that, that maybe has driven a wedge or built a wall of separation? You know, that's what the Bible seems to indicate about our sin, doesn't it? That our sin puts us at a distance from God. Our sin builds a wall of partition between us and our God. And, uh, and Hezekiah's just praying now, okay, Lord, look at verse 21. Search us out, God. Tell me, put your finger on it. If there's something that's wrong, and by the way, Hezekiah led the nation of Judah in a great revival meeting. I mean, it was great revival that broke out. And Hezekiah said, Lord, if there's anything, any rock that we've left uncovered, Lord, if there's anything in our life that we've done that's offended you, that's hurt you, that's grieved you, show me that and we'll get it right. Aren't you glad that there's a 1 John 1, 9 in the Bible? I mean, if y'all need that verse every day beside me. 1 John 1, 9. Quote it with me, all right? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, the only problem about that was in Hezekiah's day, they didn't have a 1 John 1, 9. But let me show you in the Old Testament, there's a 1 John 1, 9 in the Old Testament. Let me show it to you. You already know it. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sin, heal their land. I call that the Old Testament, 1 John 1, 9. Maybe Hezekiah saying, Lord, you show me. We'll turn from it. Lord, uh, Hezekiah, Lord, you put your finger on it. You reveal it. You uncover it. God, we'll be sure it gets covered. Lord, you, you, you pointed out, and God, we'll be sure to do our best to get it right. You see, he's looking back. He's looking around. He's looking in. But then lastly, he looks ahead. Now look at verse 23. Awake, why sleepest thou, O Lord? Arise, castest not off forever. Wherefore hidest thou thy face, and forgettest our affliction and our oppression? For our soul is bowed down to the dust. Our belly cleaveth unto the earth. Arise for our help and redeem us. And you notice this. He didn't say redeem us for thy majesty's sake. What did he say? Redeem us for thy... Boy, I'll tell you what. The only thing I know to do is cast ourselves on the mercy of God. We don't deserve anything from God whatsoever but wrath. You and I both know that our country is... 
we have embraced things that God has totally forbidden in His Word. And it seems like every day we go deeper and deeper and farther and farther away from God. Only thing I know to do is cast ourselves not on the majesty of God, but to cast ourselves on the mercy of God. God, redeem us. In other words, he's praying, God, help us have mercy upon us. Well, what happened to Hezekiah? What happened to that Assyrian army? Tell me, what, what went on? What did God do? Can I read it to you? Don't turn there. We're done. I hope I can find it myself. But in, and I know it's in 2 Kings. Let me find it real fast. I'll tell you what God did for him. So in 2 Kings chapter 20, watch this now. I'm going to read verse 35. But one night, Hezekiah and all the people of Judah inside the walls with that massive army encamped around about them go to sleep. And that night, all they can hear is the beating of the war drum. The beating of the war drums. Probably going, ha, 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 ha. Just for you Atlanta Braves fans. Don't do that anymore. That's not politically correct. We don't want to offend our Indian friends. The other day I was preaching here at the church and I made reference to something like shouting like a Comanche Indian. Don't you know Monday morning they, somebody walked in the door and was ticked off at me and said, I dare you, how dare you say something about Comanche Indians from the pulpit. <laughs> they sure did. You better be careful what you say about people in our day. Hey, 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 hey. What about this one? Build that wall. Build that wall. Build. <laughs> Them drums beating on the outside of that pulpit, outside of that wall. They went to bed that night scared to death, but they cast themselves on the mercies of God. And what did he do? Let me read it to you. We're done. And it came to pass, 2 Kings 20, verse 35, it came to pass that night that the angel of the Lord went out and smote in the camp of the Assyrians a hundred score, four score and five thousand. Let me put that together for you. That's 185,000 soldiers. One night, one angel. They got up that night, went to bed. Got up the next morning. <sighs> Somebody said, listen. I said, I don't hear nothing. That's right. The drums have stopped. And they climbed up, peeked over the wall. And there were 185,000 dead soldiers. And God, for mercy's sake, God had mercy upon the land of Assyria, uh, the, the land of Israel. Hezekiah and them prayed, oh God, do it again. And can I tell you something? God did it again. Boy, God can do it again if it be His will. Let's pray that God will do it again. Let's bow our heads. Father, thank You for the Word of God.